Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. Good morning. I am so, so happy you're here. The sun is out. The rain has stopped for maybe 30 minutes or so. Who knows? Uh, Welcome to church. This is a great day. This is the kickoff of the Easter season, and I know a lot of us have great memories of Easter growing up, and uh, I'm really excited about the the new memories the Lord is going to give us as a new church um, as we're rolling with People of Hope Church, now eight months old. We are about to experience our first Easter together. So this is commonly referred to as Palm Sunday, and we are wrapping up a a two-part series called, For God So Loved the Borough. And that phrase is pulled from the most famous Bible verse of John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And the challenge of this teaching series is to remind us is that God not only loved the world in general, but God specifically loves this city. That God has deep love and affection and God has beautiful plans for this city. And God gave the life of his son Jesus for this city. God so loved the borough so much that he gave his son Jesus. God so loved the borough that he put one of his churches in this city to be an outpost of hope called People of Hope Church, to join in with the many, many great churches in this town. God so loved the borough that he put you in this church to be on mission with him, to go and find the beaten up, the broken, the jaded, the betrayed, those who feel left behind and lonely, those who are absolutely rich and wealthy in their affluence, but completely empty and hurting on the inside. We're to be an outpost of hope. God so loved this city that he put you in this church to tell people they can find hope in Jesus. That's a privilege, amen? It's a huge privilege to partner with God in helping to restore and rebuild and redeem people's lives. That's what we're all about, and that's what we're talking about in For God So Loved the Borough. I've just lived here almost three years, and so I'm learning more and more about the city, and I'm a, I'm a bit of a history nerd. I love it. I, I spent a lot of time out at the battlefield learning all the Civil War history and different things, but I, I actually picked up a book um, called Murfreesboro Then and Now. It's full of pictures. Anybody seen this book before? Anybody taking a look at this? Um, yeah, and a whole two people in the room. Awesome. You guys should grab this book. It's really cool. It's got all kinds of pictures in it of way back Murfreesboro and modern day Murfreesboro and compared the pictures and all the talk, and there's been some cool stuff happening in this town. Most of you already knew this, but Murfreesboro is the exact geographic center of the state of Tennessee. I mean, we are right in the middle of it. And if you've wondered why there's a middle Tennessee state, or people talk about the middle Tennessee region, it's because literally you can drive to a marker in this town and show the exact geographic middle of the entire state of Tennessee is right here in our town. 
This town has seen lots of amazing things, some of them difficult and hard. We had one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War happened in this region. And by the way, it was not just confined to the, to the State Park battlefield area. It was all over this city. There was uh, what is currently the city, skirmishes and battles, and there was terrible loss of life on both sides. It was an awful, awful occurrence, but it was a major part of history in the Civil War. That all happened around Murfreesboro. Maybe you didn't know this, but Murfreesboro was actually the capital of Tennessee for several years. So this, this city has seen a lot of cool things going on. I learned from my little book that in 1940, Ronald Reagan came to Murfreesboro to help uh, get ready to open the General Electric plant, which was like the big deal um, in, in the town. And and I've learned about all these incredible buildings that were down off the square and nearby that have been now demolished and replaced by a bank and another bank and another bank. I just read it was, it was this building was that building and, and currently it's been raised and replaced by a bank and this been all kinds of stuff. We got lots of banks in this town. So if you're worried if there's a place to put your money, uh, have no fear. There's lots of them. But this is a really cool town, and what's awesome is, is that God isn't finished here. God isn't finished writing his story in this town. And it's not just about buildings, it's not just about industry, it's not just about the fact that we are currently in one of the top towns in the country on growth and one of the top places to live for schools and families. We're one of the fastest growing places in the state of Tennessee. It's not just about those things, but I believe with all my heart that God is still telling the story of his power as people will find their lives changed by Jesus in this town. People are going to be moving here next month, and they have no idea that part of the reason that God is moving them here is so they can meet Jesus and become part of our community of faith. God is at work in our city. Amen? There is already good stuff going on in good churches, and we want to join in with that. And we want to say to our God, who does more than we could ever ask or imagine, we want to say to our God, Lord, thank you for what you've been doing. Thank you for the history of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. But come on, Lord, do it again in our day, in our time. Let's go. Let's see some lives change. Flex your muscle. Come on, God. We want to be a part of that. Amen? We don't want to just be in a church where we come and find our familiar seat we sit in every week and then we kind of do our thing and say hello to some familiar people. We want to be a part of a movement. And that movement begins when you realize, for God so loved the borough, not just you and the person you're sitting around, but the person who served you your coffee this week, the person who talked to you in the drive through lane, the person who helped you when you took your shirts to the dry cleaners, the person who was at the doctor's office, the person at one of the 4,700 banks in this town. All of these people you encounter in your classrooms, on your teams, in your neighborhood, all of these people, God absolutely loves them, and he has put you in this city to carry the message of hope. That if you're sinful, you can be forgiven. And if you felt like you fumbled your life, you can be rebuilt. If you feel like that you have dirtied up your life, you could be made clean. If you feel absolutely alone and abandoned and, and, and just isolated, you can be adopted into his family. We are the carriers of hope. And God is just getting started and telling the story, getting ready to do amazing things for his namesake in this town. And I want us to have that in our mind in this Easter season because there is great opportunity at Easter time. 
people, for some reason, feel okay about being in a church on Easter Sunday. And so I challenge you as the people of God in this week, this coming week, that you would seize the moment and step out in boldness and in faith and that you'd invite somebody to come and sit with you and be your guest at church on Easter Sunday next week because let me tell you what's gonna happen next Sunday. We're gonna sing some songs and lift up the name of Jesus and I'm gonna stand up here and I'm gonna talk about the good news of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ and I'm gonna talk about a fact for a way for people to have a relationship with God. So invite them by faith in boldness, in confidence, and remember that that person you're bumping up against this week, God loves them, and he wants them to meet Jesus. So let's get on board with For God So Loved the Borough. It's Palm Sunday. Open your Bibles to John chapter 11. We're going to be in the end of John 11. The last two verses, actually, verses 55 through 57, they're going to come up on your screen, but if you've got a a Bible or a device that you're reading along with, go down to verse 55. I remind you that in John chapter 11, what's just happened a few verses earlier is one of the great, amazing miracles of Jesus. Lazarus, who was a, a brother of Mary and Martha, and all of that family was a friend of Jesus. Lazarus got sick, and he died. And Jesus came to Bethany, and that's where you find the, that beautiful short verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He wept at the grief of the loss of Lazarus. And there, Jesus had this moment where he did something so that the power of God would be on display. And he said, I want you to roll the stone back on the grave of Lazarus. And they said, hold on, Lord, it's been a few days now. Surely there's going to be an odor. And Jesus said, I'm doing this so that you may see the power of God among you. And Jesus, as the Son of God, who can do anything, said, Lazarus, rise up, come. And this dead man was brought back to life by the power of God and walked out and there was a party at his house and people were eating and drinking and talking with this man Lazarus who had been sick for a while and they knew it and they were around it and they knew he died and he was buried for days and then Jesus showed up well you can imagine that caused a stir in the community (laughs) people were fired up about this people were excited about this people were really kind of going oh my gosh have you heard have you heard have you seen him yes it really happened I was there I saw about it or my brother's cousin nephew's uncle saw it and he was there and it's a big deal and we were all at the party and it's incredible and people were all stirred up and they were like have you heard have you heard and all these stories of Jesus and the healings and the miracles and the teachings were just coming to a swell verse 55 When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. And they kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what what do you think? Isn't, Isn't he coming to the festival at all? So get that picture in your mind. Everybody's like, did you hear what Jesus just did on top of all that he's done? Because Lazarus in Bethany, that's two miles from Jerusalem. That's just down the road. And the buzz was big. So now people are like, is he coming? Is he coming? Because people from all over the country and inside the countryside, they would come into Jerusalem for the Passover festivities. 
One historian has said that um, just a few years after the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that during one of the Passover occasions, there were approximately 2.7 million people in Jerusalem. Ancient Jerusalem. Crowded, packed, bodies just cramming all over it, looking for food and selling things, and it's a party atmosphere, and people are excited about the Passover and all this kind of stuff, and can you get that picture? They're in the temple, like going, is that, is that him? No, I think that's, that's not him. It's a different color beard. I don't know where, the, where Jesus is and what he's going. Is he coming at all? Is he going to be here? There was a buzz and an excitement. But the chief priests and Pharisees, in verse 57, had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So that's just two miles outside of Jerusalem. Now let's skip down to verse 12. Chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And at first his disciples did not understand all this, and only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, the raising of Lazarus, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Catch this picture. Two miles outside of Jerusalem is Bethany, and Jesus has gone there six days before the Passover, and the people are still buzzing about the resurrection of Lazarus, and there's a crowd there. And people are in Jerusalem, two miles away for the Passover festivities, and people are going, where is he? Is he coming at all? Have you seen him? I think I saw him. I heard that I saw him. Is he coming? Where is he? And these two crowds are going to meet. There's a crowd following Jesus from Bethany on his way into Jerusalem. And there's a crowd in Jerusalem who's looking for him. And the word spreads. He's coming. He's coming from Bethany. And so giant crowd of excited people, giant crowd of excited people mixed in with some chief priests and, and doubters and haters. They are going to collide here as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And he finds the, 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 the young colt of a donkey and sits on it to fulfill some prophecy and comes into Jerusalem to paint a picture. He is the king, and he is the king of the Jews, and he is the king of Israel. He's the king of the world. But he's not coming in in a golden chariot with a blazing sword in some high and mighty picture of conquering. Jesus is coming in gentle and humble, to say, I'm not coming to conquer you. I am your king coming to rescue you. 
I want you to understand a few things about the word Hosanna and this situation going on in the triumphal entry. Actually, let's look at a couple of pictures. Um, art, the art world and, and the painting world has used some different imagery of this. And here's one of the more modern uh, portrayals of this. And I kind of like this picture, um, if you can see it. Uh, there's Jesus coming through and, and there's people all around and they're waving the palm branches and you've got people you can tell are of different races and ethnicities and backgrounds and you maybe have some in some um, church leader robes and they're kind of skeptical and people are celebrating and pressing in and it looks like there's a guy with some bongos. You see the guy with bongos? I didn't know that was a thing in, in early Jerusalem but evidently it was and you've got people, um, you can't tell in the bottom of the picture, but people are laying down their garments as he comes, and there's this celebration moment, and then you have the girls out in front strewing flowers, like the flower kids at, at a wedding kind of thing, and that, that's a beautiful picture of the celebration and of the parade that was happening as these two crowds met in Jerusalem when Jesus came. But actually, with perhaps millions of people and people clamoring to see Jesus more than anybody ever wanted to see the Beatles or Elvis or Michael Jackson or Justin Bieber or Justin Timberlake or fill in the blank. I actually think it was closer to this next picture where it was just a throng of people and it takes you a minute to find Jesus in this picture. <laughs> it takes you just a second because you're like, oh, is that him? I don't know if that's him. And, and, and there are people just pressing in everywhere. And he's riding in on this colt. And it is a little bit of pandemonium. There's excitement going on here. And part of the crowd is thrilled. And part of the crowd is just curious. And part of the crowd is not excited. But everybody is caught up in this buzz to see Jesus. This is what's called the triumphal entry. Not a conquering king, but a rescuing king. A couple of things are said by the crowd in your text as you can see that. It says that they were saying and crying aloud and shouting as they waved palm branches, Hosanna! And that's a quote from Psalm 118. And the people in the area were saying this because it was part of the prophecy of when the Messiah would come and the, the King of the Jews and the line of David would come. And, and they were, were shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And there are a couple of tones to the word Hosanna. There are a couple of meanings and variations in it. I want to give those to you this morning because I think they're helpful. One of them is the word Hosanna means save, please. And it's a pleading. Jesus! We are in Jerusalem, but we are held captive by the Romans. Jesus, we are, are beholden to them, and they mistreat us, and it's our land, but they're the, the ones who occupy it, and they're not good to us, and we want to be our own and independent again. Save us, please. This is our current situation, Jesus. Save, please. That's what Hosanna means, partly. But there's another variation of that word, Hosanna, and it means salvation is here. So you have a pleading statement of save, please, and you have a cheering statement that says salvation is here. So you got part of the crowd going, oh, we need you, King Jesus. And part of the crowd saying, yes, King Jesus is here. I like what one pastor uh, named John Piper wrote about this one time. He said, this word in this moment it became what you say when you see the lifeguard coming to save you. 
Hosanna! Oh, Hosanna! Salvation is here! Save, please. Hosanna! Salvation is here. In the mind of the crowds in this moment, they were thinking a few things. Number one, they were thinking that this prophecy is now fulfilled. Wow! Here he comes in as the king riding into town. Here he comes, and we're waving these palm branches, and we're shouting Hosanna. And Blessed is the one who comes in the names of the name of the Lord. Number two, they were thinking, please, Jesus, do for us what you've been doing lately. Like, do for us what you've done for others. That's that save, please. Lord, we've heard of what you've done for Lazarus. We need our own kind of a resurrection. We need to be set free from Rome. We need to be helped out of our sickness. We need to be helped in our other situations. And maybe you're here this morning and you would find that to be a familiar thing. Your current circumstances are right there in front of your face and all you can see and think about when you wake up and when you go to bed at night is the trouble that you're facing right now. And maybe that would be your thought, save please. Would you do for me what you've been doing for others? And I'm inviting you this morning to just in a silent prayer in your heart, would you would lift up a prayer of faith to God right now that says, Lord, you know every detail of what I'm walking through right now. The hurt, the trouble, the sickness, the struggle, the crumbling relationship or marriage, the struggling child that I'm reaching out for, my sense of identity and loss, and I don't know what my purpose is, and I don't know what's going to happen next, and I need a job. And Whatever situation you're in, I'm facing some bullies in my school. Whatever it is you're into right now, lift up a prayer of faith that says, save please. Hosanna, would you do for me what you did for Lazarus? Would you do for me what you did for others? Save, please. Save, please. Number three, the crowd was also thinking, let's go get these Romans. (laughs) Jesus is here. (laughs) Let's go get them. The king is here. Come on, let's throw off these oppressors. Let's conquer these conquerors. Let's go after these. And, and what's really powerful in this moment, Jesus is actually quite misunderstood by that group. Here's what's important. Listen to this. He did not come to change their immediate problem. He came to solve their eternal problem. They were thinking, I've got this immediate problem called the Romans. And Jesus is like, you don't realize you have a bigger problem. You need to have a relationship with the God of the universe. And you need to have your sins forgiven. And it's, it, the Romans are no trouble for me. But you have a bigger need that I have come to be a part of the solution. He came to solve that eternal problem, giving them a relationship with God forever. So as you come into Holy Week, as it's known, on the week before Easter, on Palm Sunday, where we remember Jesus riding in victorious into Jerusalem, not as a high and mighty shining king of conquering, but as a humble, meek, gentle king sitting on the colt of a donkey. As you think about Palm Sunday... I want to reframe Easter for you out of this this morning. 
I want to give you four things this morning that help us understand that really this is the beginning of the end of the beginning. You're like, what? This is the beginning of the end of the beginning. In the life of Jesus, in his earthly ministry, this is the beginning of the end. This is this first moment of Holy Week, where Je- Holy Week, where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He is actually stirring the pot in some ways of coming in like this. Jesus knows the prophecies. And he's kind of forcing the hand of the Pharisees. He comes in. This is the beginning of the end of his earthly ministry. It's moving toward the cross now in a matter of days. There will be the Last Supper. There will be the cross after the trial. There will be the burial in a borrowed tomb for three days. And then there will be the glorious resurrection. And then he will be around for a little while. And then he will ascend back to the right hand of the Father. This is the beginning of the end. But then that's the beginning. Because when Jesus came up out of the grave, as we're going to celebrate next Sunday, that is the beginning of the new era of grace and the possibility of salvation through Jesus. Jesus on the cross made a way for us to God. Is that good news to anybody? So this Palm Sunday moment is the beginning of the end of the beginning. Let me frame it for you in four ways. Number one, we can have hope in a person. We can have hope in a person, our humble King Jesus. Our humble King Jesus. I don't know how long you've, it's been since you've been tracking with church or with the Bible or with Jesus or with God, but here's what I want you to hear this morning. This is so absolutely important that we're not asking you to get involved in religion. We're not asking you to get involved in you know, having good attendance or being a good boy or a good girl or, or being a part of a religious institution. What we're inviting you to is a relationship with Jesus Christ because here's the deal. He comes riding in your life not to conquer you, but to rescue and revive you from the dead. So our hope is in a person, a relationship with King Jesus, our humble King Jesus. And Jesus stands before you this morning and saying, I know what your life is like. I know the empty. I know the longing. I know the distance you, you feel from the Father. I know the shame you carry around in your life for your deeds and for your choices and for your past. And I am coming here today not to knock you down, but I am coming to knock on the door of your heart to saying that if you will believe in me and follow me and be my disciple, I will rescue you. And as surely as I called Lazarus out of the grave, I will revive your dead heart to be fully alive in God. Easter gives us hope in a person. Number two, Easter gives us hope in a sacrifice. Easter gives us hope in a sacrifice. Friends, Jesus was never a victim. He was never a victim of the Romans. He was never a victim of the religious leaders and Judaism. Jesus always, from the beginning, actually before the foundations of the world, this was the plan, that Jesus would come on a mission to willingly lay down his life. Nobody ever got the better of Jesus. Jesus was never a victim. 
He was on a mission to give his life as a substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. See, what happened is, is that Jesus gave his life. He went to the cross on purpose to lay his life down for the guilt of our sins against God. It's beautiful. He didn't deserve it. He had never sinned. But sin had to be paid for, or God would not be worth worshiping. God had to keep his word that sin had a cost. God never just said, oh, never mind about sin. Everybody come on into heaven. No, grace was never free. It was paid for by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. And we have hope in the sacrifice. Now listen, on the cross, Jesus became the sacrificial lamb. And like the Old Testament sacrificial system, Blood was shed to cover on an altar, to cover the guilt of sin. And God took on this Roman method of execution, this cross, and the blood of the innocent lamb Jesus was shed to cover the guilt of your sins and my sins. That was the sacrifice of the lamb, but it was the sacrifice of the Savior that we hope in as well, meaning he chose to endure it for you and me because he loves us. What did he have to endure? Are you talking about the nails that went through his wrists and the nails that went through his ankles and the piercing of his side? Yes, he had to endure that. It was awful. It was terrible. It was bloody and gross and, and, and just full of, of, of all kinds of, of compromising they, they plucked his beard and they stripped his clothes and, and they mocked him and it was terrible. And the, the death itself was cruel because you didn't die, die from the blood loss of the nails. You died from asphyxiation because what happened is, is your, your body would begin to hang and your lungs would fill up with fluid and you would basically suffocate because you could only push yourself up to catch a breath. <gasps> But then you were in such pain because your hands and feet were nailed and that you would droop back down. So for hours, <gasps> until he drowned and died. It's cruel and torturous. But that wasn't what he endured. That was the heaviest. Poured out on the Son of God was the Father's wrath that you and I deserved. And Jesus hung there, and he said, I'll take it. They can't take it. They can't endure the Father's punishment on sin. They cannot endure the, son, the, the Father settling up on what is due for the guilt of sin. They cannot endure it. Let it come upon me. And if you're new to church and you wonder why we love Jesus, because he drank the cup of God's wrath that we could never drink. And he had a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross where he said to the Father, if there's any way that this cup could pass me by, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Father, if this is your plan to make a way to have a relationship with these people, our people, then I'm willing. So Easter 
gives us hope in a sacrifice. Yes, the lamb paid it in full, but also Jesus the son said, I'm the king, but I'm going to let myself be killed. I'm the king, and I've never sinned, but I'm going to let myself endure the punishment of God for all sin. Oh my goodness. How beautiful is that? Hallelujah, happy Easter. We have hope in a person. We have hope in a sacrifice. Number three, we have hope in a resurrection. Because our Lord did not stay dead, amen? After three days, Jesus came back from the dead and God flexed his arms of might and said, death is not beyond my control. Death doesn't win. Right on. Death doesn't win. We have the hope of a resurrection. If, if Jesus was raised from the dead, so too shall we be raised with him one day. And you and I, if we believe in Jesus, if we're disciples of Jesus, we do not have to fear death. Isn't that awesome? Because death is not the end, it is the beginning. Death is the opportunity to be with Jesus and to shed this betraying, decaying, filthy, corrupted, prone to wander earth suit. And we have the hope of a resurrection. That's why Easter is so big to us. We hope in a person, our humble king. We hope in a sacrifice that Jesus willingly gave his life for the guilt of your sin and mine. And we have hope in a resurrection that death doesn't win. And number four, finally, Easter gives us hope in a community. I want you to think about the disciples for a moment. They had been tracking with Jesus, following along with Jesus, going town to town with Jesus, listening to his teachings, watching him work these miracles and do all these incredible things. And, and now they're being caught up in these end moments. They were in that pressing of the people in that parade coming into the gates of Jerusalem. They were part of all that. And they were like, yeah, this is awesome. And then in just a short time, they're sitting around a table together. And Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, what? And then guards come when they're in the garden of Gethsemane and they, they arrest Jesus and take him and they're thinking oh no where is this going they hadn't been listening or paying attention the Bible even tells us in John 12 the disciples weren't even understanding all of this until after Jesus was raised from the dead they're in the garden Jesus is arrested they go to the trial Peter's hanging around by torchlight in the courtyard of the area and people say hey you're one of him and he goes denies Jesus the disciples are just struggling and they're hiding in a room somewhere and Jesus is killed and they're hiding in a room somewhere and then Jesus is raised from the dead and where does the news come to the room where they're hiding they're just joined together all we have is each other and then Jesus is alive. And you know what we have? We have each other. And now we're going to shout the words all across the world. Jesus is alive and you need to become his disciple. And you need to become his disciple. And you need to become his disciple. Because our God does not fear death. He conquers death. 
Come along with us. You need hope? Find it in Jesus. You need new life? Find it in Jesus. You need to be restored and rebuilt and made clean? Find it in Jesus. Come on. And it becomes this community of disciples all over the world. And they get together in pockets, these gatherings called churches. The word church is a Greek word, ekklesia, which means gathering. That's why we call this a gathering. We are the gathering of disciples called People of Hope Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in the early part of the 21st century. And there's community here. Those disciples were in the upper room huddled together. And here we are huddled together. It's rough out there. Amen? Hello? There's some dark stuff. There's some cruel and evil people. There are some people who say bad things about Jesus and say bad things about you because you follow Jesus. There are people who think you're hoping in a lie. There are people who you're, you're leaning on a crutch that just kind of makes you feel good. They think you're a part of empty religion. They think you're just part of some cultural phenomenon. And it's rough out there also because people don't live by the word of God. They live by their will and want. And there are cruel and unkind and hateful persecuting things out there and so we huddle together and we rally around the cross and we sit under the word and we get our hearts aligned with who Jesus is and we love each other as a community. That's why we do community groups so that this group of eight or this group of 12 or this group of 14 can get together every once in a while and go, tell me about your life because I care about your life. I want to be with you and stand with you and walk through, with you through the tough times and cheer with you on the great days. And I'm going to be covering you in prayer this week. We have hope in a community. And just like those early disciples who were now charged up by the resurrection of Jesus and launched into the world to carry the message of hope, so are we. Because God so loved the borough that he put you in here and Jesus in your heart so that you could go out there and carry the message of hope. Amen? We have hope in a community. We follow Jesus together while helping to meet each other's needs. Just like the 12 or the 11 at that point. So this is on Palm Sunday, the end, the beginning of the end of the beginning. And we're carrying it on in these days. So let me finish this morning by asking this question. What is your cry today as you've heard me talk about Jesus? Coming into Jerusalem, these people were crying all these things. Some of them were saying, save please. And some of them were saying, salvation is here. Which one is your cry today? Because if you are struggling in a current bit of trouble right now, he can absolutely deal with your present trouble. But if you're not yet a Christian, not yet a follower of Jesus, do you see him clearly this morning? He is the one who has the right to judge you, but he has chosen to sacrifice himself for you. Hallelujah. And would you be one who says... Salvation is here. Save, please.
would you be one who says, I get it maybe for the first time in my life that while Jesus can deal with my current problem, wow, he came to deal with my eternal problem. And he came to die for what's keeping me from God. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, but in this moment right now, you're ready to become one. Is that who Jesus is? I want to call out, save please. Yes, salvation has come. Maybe right now you want to follow Jesus and become his disciple and have your sins forgiven and to become part of the community of faith in a resurrected life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? Just as you sit, just as you sit still, would you think about this question? Am I a disciple of Jesus? Have I followed him with my life? And if you have, then would you thank him right now for the cross that Jesus took what you really deserved? Thank him for the sacrifice. Thank him for the willingness to lay himself down. Thank him for drinking the cup of what you deserve. And if you walked into this room this morning and you were not a follower of Jesus, if, if Jesus has been made clear to you this morning and you've sensed in your heart that you want to call out to him and say, solve my eternal problem, not just my current problem. But save me from my sins. I want to get in on what you did for me on the cross. If right now you want to become a disciple of Jesus, then in your heart, right where you're sitting, it doesn't have to be a specific set of words, but it can sound a little something like this. And if you're ready to become a disciple, then let's say a prayer and, and you ask Jesus to forgive your sins and tell him you want to become his disciple. Maybe you just want to say to him, dear God, I have definitely sinned against you. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay for the guilt of my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. And I want to follow Jesus and become his disciple. I want a relationship with God now and for all eternity in heaven. Thank you, God, for saving me. With your head bowed and eyes closed, if that was your moment today to say, save, please, save, please. I've got to, I, I need to to be saved. I need to become a Christian. If that was your moment and you just prayed that prayer while nobody else is looking around, would you just lift your hand up in the air just between me and you just so I can encourage you this morning and be aware of what God's doing in the room? Who else this morning? Who else this morning? That today's the day that you asked Jesus to save you. Anybody else? Anybody else today? Today's the day that you just said, save, please. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to become a disciple. God, thank you for those who've, um, who've just prayed this right now and who've put their faith in Jesus and what you've done for us. We love you. We pray that you would 
put joy in these people's hearts as they follow you as, as uh, disciples. We pray, O oh God, that you would give them a sense of being clean and forgiven, that they would have a sense of being new and restored. And we pray, God, that you would give them great delight in being part of the community of faith known as the church. Thank you, Jesus, for being our king. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand up this morning? We're going to have a time of response together just to sing. And we're going to sing to the Lord. And as you think about what Jesus has done for you, you're going to get excited about these lyrics. One of the lyrics of this song is, I'll follow you anywhere. If you think about that he laid down his life for you, I'll follow you anywhere. If you think about that he took on himself what he never deserved, that's what, I'll follow you anywhere. So this is your moment in this song to respond to the Lord and to worship him out of what you know and love about Jesus. So let's sing this together.